Amen. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, uh, Quartet. That's <laughs> all good. It's a good song, amen? Uh, Vanessa, was that you playing the guitar in the background? You know what? I think we're going to begin to pray that you'd have courage and come up and play with them live. We would love that. I know it would make you nervous, but you'd do a great job. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. We are going through end time events sequentially as we have been studying Bible doctrine together on Sunday nights. The word doctrine, of course, just simply means teaching. And so we have been studying the teachings of the Bible because doctrine is very important to living a stable, balanced, and consistent Christian life. When the New Testament prophet Jude set out to speak of the common salvation, the Holy Spirit instead moved him to, quote, write about earnestly contending for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. And the phrase, the faith, in that context and in most other New Testament contexts refers to the body of key Bible doctrines. We are supposed to contend for the faith as believing people, and we cannot know what to contend for and what to overlook if we are not familiar with what Bible doctrines are key. Uh, Please don't misunderstand me. I would never say that all of the doctrines we've discussed over the last year plus are key Bible doctrines for which we should contend. Uh, We first and foremost contend for the Bible being the Word of God. And if we don't have a word from God, we can't decide anything else. The second thing we contend for is the deity of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, He can't die for our sins if He wasn't the sinless Son of the living God. And the third thing we contend for is salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And certainly there are other key doctrines, other aspects of the faith, but those three more than anything are part of them. Some hills are worth dying on, some hills are worth contending over, and some hills are just hills. And they're worth knowing, they're worth understanding because they help us better follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, last week we spent time together talking about the great white throne judgment and applying what we learned to our life. The great white throne judgment occurs after the 1,000-year kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and either occurs at the same time or shortly after or before the earth is purged by fire. And to me, as I mentioned last week, it is literally the most frightening scene in all of the Bible when we begin to think about what it means uh, practically. And we talked about the timing, the subjects, the basis, and the result of that fearful future judgment when Jesus says to those whose names are not written in his book, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And we just simply pause to thank God that no true believer will be anything other than a spectator at that terrible future event. And we challenged ourselves to appreciate our own salvation more, We challenged ourselves to be uh, more appreciative of the price Christ paid to redeem us, and we challenged ourselves to be more burdened for the people around us who don't know the Lord who will appear at that terrible judgment. Now, we spent time talking about what happens to those who choose not to believe. 
from Cain all the way to those who chose to rebel with Satan at the end of Christ's kingdom. But what happens to believers after the kingdom of Christ and the final rebellion led by Satan? And understand at that future moment, there will be two groups of believers. There'll be a group of believers who will be in glorified bodies. They will have been in the new Jerusalem during Christ's kingdom in some way. At least some of them will have been ruling and reigning with Christ from the heavenly city. But there will also be a group of believers at that time who will be in their mortal bodies. They will be children uh, born in the kingdom of Christ and believers who are still in their mortal bodies. Those are the two groups of believers that will be around at that time. And we're not told directly anything about those believers who live through Christ's kingdom and children born in his Christ's kingdom at that time. We just know there will be multiplied millions of them. And by implication, we understand that group will be given their glorified body at that time to prepare for eternity, much like when Christ returns in the air at the rapture. Those alive at that time, believers alive, and children who have not reached an accountable age, they'll be given a glorified body. And so much like them, we know by implication what's going to happen to them, but what happens to believers and uh, our world when Christ's kingdom ends, when the earth is purged by fire to prepare for an eternity of righteousness and holiness and peace and, and love? What happens at that future moment to believers in our world? If you are able to stand, if you would stand tonight in honor of God's word, the top of my thought is the beautiful city of God, the beautiful city of God. Revelation chapter 12. By the way, before I start, I mean, understand this. Every prophecy that we know anything about in the Old Testament that has been fulfilled has been fulfilled literally. That's thousands of prophecies. Future events God predicted in Genesis uh, through Malachi that have been fulfilled. And so we expect any prophecy that yet remains in the future to be fulfilled in the same way that prophecies in the past have been fulfilled. They were fulfilled literally. And so anybody who reads things like this that are obviously literal future events and tries to tell you that they spiritually mean something else, understand they're going off on their own. If we can't take prophecy, future prophecies literally, like they were fulfilled in the past, then you have no way of knowing what it means at all. And so we are going to read about the literal future events after Christ's kingdom, after Satan's final rebellion, after the earth is purged by fire, and after all those things, the beautiful city of God, Revelation 21, verse 1, says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. 
And he, by the way, the next, how many people here have a red letter Bible? I mean, understand the red letters, that's something somebody put in there. I have a red letter Bible. I like a red letter Bible. But understand the likelihood is that what we're about to read should be in red letters. In my Bible, it's not. All right? Red letters is someone's interpretation of the text. Uh, but notice verse 5 says, And he that sat upon the throne said. And so Jesus is saying these words, so the next words should be in red letters uh, if they're not in your Bible. Verse 5, He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. He said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So that should be in red letters. He said unto me, and this should be in red letters, is done. I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I'll give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I'll be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers, and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Thank you. you might be seated. Now, most people, when it comes to heaven and eternity, they kind of make something up in their own mind about what they think it's going to be like. And quite frankly, because uh, a lot of people have expressed wrong ideas about heaven and eternity, they've caused some people to not really care much whether they actually go to heaven to be with God or not. Early in my Christian life, I mean, I had people tell me that basically heaven was sitting or standing around the throne of God, just singing praises to God. And it might disappoint you, but as a new believer, I thought to myself, that sounds nice. But to do that for 24-7, for the rest of eternity, it wasn't as appealing to me as it really maybe should have been. And I don't debate that part of eternity and part of heaven uh, will be being around God's throne and singing God's praises and praising God. But understand, I also believe that the Scriptures teach that there is much more that our Creator and our Savior has in store for those He has redeemed than those things. I mean, after all, mankind was not created to worship. Amen. By the way, Jesus said, man, uh, God made the Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath. God created man for relationship. And, and, and so the focus of eternity is not worship, though there will be worship. The focus of eternity is relationship with our wonderful Father in heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God, the triune creator who made us and saved us. Now, over the years, because of um, people talking about that being what eternity is all about, I've actually had people say they'd prefer to go to hell. They say they prefer to be with their family and friends than to be in heaven, standing around God's throne, praising God. And that comment, that's just ignorant. I mean, what it basically is a reflection of the fact that somebody doesn't understand what the real hell is, and they also don't understand the real heaven. Uh, we had last week a glimpse of the real hell, a place where the doomed and damned to burn forever in the lake of fire. Tonight, I want us to get a Biblical glimpse of the real heaven. And by the way, we are only given glimpses of heaven and eternity. Heaven is a real place. It is not a state of mind. It is not some plateau of bliss. It is not some joining with the universal consciousness. Uh, heaven is a real place. 
And though the Bible gives us quite a lot of information about the coming kingdom of Christ and what that thousand-year reign will look like, the Bible is a lot more sparing in what it says about eternity. We spent three weeks talking about what the Old Testament especially teaches about the Messiah's kingdom, uh, but we're given a lot less information about heaven and eternity. Uh, though we're not given much, we have been given momentary glimpses in the past, flashes in time, so to speak, of what went on in heaven in past. You may remember in Isaiah chapter 6 when uh, the king Uzziah, who was a good man, died, and Isaiah, uh, Isaiah was taken up to heaven. You remember that story, and he saw the Lord in his glory and the seraphims above his throne who cried out, Holy, 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 uh, Lord God of uh, Almighty, Lord of hosts. Uh, we, we saw a glimpse in the past. Uh, we're not told much, but we have been given momentary glimpses into the present of what goes on in heaven. You may remember in, in Acts chapter 7 uh, where Jesus stood to receive the martyr Stephen when in uh, reality we're taught that most of the time he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Uh, we're given glimpses in the New Testament of those who die in Christ. Their soul immediately goes to heaven to be with God uh, in, in there, uh, with Christ there. We're given that glimpse. We're not given much. We're given the most glimpses of what goes on in heaven during the future seven-year tribulation. Uh, John was taken there, and several places in the book of Revelation are John describing things that are going on, things that are being said, things that are happening uh, there in heaven during that special, unique time. But those are just glimpses. Glimpses of a special, not-to-be-duplicated time of tribulation on earth for those glimpses. Most of what we have describing what heaven will be like for eternity after Christ's kingdom is in the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. Though God did not tell us all we wish he told us, God did tell us everything we actually need to know about heaven and eternity. Now the scene that we just read about there uh, in the first seven verses of Revelation chapter 21 are the scene that immediately follows the great white throne and the purging of earth by fire. But by then the doomed and damned will have been resurrected and finally and forever cast in the lake of fire. By then the heavens and earth will have melted away and the effects of sin and mankind's works will have burned up. And you may or may not believe this, I personally believe that either during Christ's fiery return at the end of the seven years or this purging by fire, I, I believe God is going to return the continental plates to what geology class calls Pangaea, the uh, way the earth was prior to, to Noah's flood. And uh, by the way, I don't know that for sure. Uh, it might happen, might not, we'll see. Uh, in verse, the end of verse one says, and there was no more sea. Uh, by the way, uh, that may be because the Mediterranean Sea, Black Sea, Caspian Sea, and Red Sea are all basically underneath the New Jerusalem. <laughs> Uh, that may be because God completely redesigns the earth, changes the topography, if you will, to fit the new Jerusalem that we're going to read about descending from the sky. Uh, it seems to me that if the Bible said seas there, that would mean there was no more oceans. 
but it doesn't say that. By the way, every word in your Bible matters. Uh, there is no more sea. I personally believe that refers to the Mediterranean Sea, which is the focal point of a sea in that area around which the Bible events uh, occur. Uh, by the way, if you're here and you're saved, uh, you'll be a witness to this event. And in that time, we'll know for sure what God meant when he said there will be no more sea. Uh, anyway, that I go through this tonight and attempt to describe what heaven and eternity will be, anything I can say will be inferior to what it will actually be. I, I mean, we can only imagine what omnipotence and omniscience can prepare for those who loved and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we are given some glimpses, and what I would like to do tonight is just study those. And one of the things that you should end up seeing is that the things we describe that are coming in Christ's 1,000-year kingdom, in many cases, they're just shadows and pictures of what God has in store for eternity and for heaven. Notice some things that change as time finally ends and eternity begins in verse 1. It says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. I have no idea how long it'll take for God to redo the heaven and the earth. Now, in Genesis, we know God spent six, seven, 24-hour days to create the earth. By the way, he took that long because he was establishing the work week for mankind. If you don't believe that, look in Acts chapter 20 when he makes the Ten Commandments. Uh, he's no longer going to be establishing a work week and so uh, the amazing thing is not God creating everything in six 24-hour days. The amazing thing is, is why did God, God bother to take so long to do it? And so we don't know how long this will take. I would imagine uh, this restoration is much more quick. And though, like the original earth, uh, had the effects of age, even though it was young. I mean, for instance, uh, Adam was an adult, not a zygote. Uh, the land was, so, had soil and plants, not a rock, that needed to be eroded to become soil. Uh, it had mature trees that were good for food and pleasant to look upon. They weren't just seeds and acorns. Uh, the earth, though it was very young when God made it the first time, it had the effects of looking old, and, and I believe it'll be the same way then. All the ecosystems and everything in the earth will be fully intact and fully done and fully completed, just like it was when God did it the first time. The second thing we notice that changes is the location of the new Jerusalem. It's changed from the skies in heaven to earth and Verse 2 says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. There are few things, if anything, more beautiful than a bride on her wedding day. New Jerusalem is a tabernacle of God. <laughs> New Jerusalem is a place where God now dwells in it and then comes down to earth from God. Now, it's possible that that city will be up in heaven, the place where God uniquely dwells, it is also possible it will be up during Christ's kingdom uh, in what we would call outer space, the stellar heaven. 
Uh, to me, the Bible seems to indicate it will be somewhere visible in the sky during Christ's kingdom. Notice in verse 9 of Revelation chapter 1, there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues. He talked with me saying, come hither, I'll show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and a high mountain. Uh, by the way, that means there's mountains in uh, eternity and showed me that great city the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Now, jasper today is most often red, can be other colors, but the jasper of that city, uh, it's going to be clear, perhaps admitting a reddish clear light. Now, if you think about this city, and we'll talk in a few moments about its size, uh, our moon has a volume of 5.25 billion cubic miles. If the New Jerusalem is a cube, it'll be 44% of that. If it is a pyramid, it's about 15% of that. Um, now, whether the New Jerusalem will be visible in the sky as a dot, kind of like Venus is from our perspective, and it's way off in the distance, or whether it's more like our moon, which is far more visible and appears much closer in the sky, we don't know. But listen, if you're saved, you'll see and know. We're given more details about this great city uh, from the Holy Spirit through John's pen. Notice as he continues uh, talking about this new Jerusalem, beginning in verse 12, it says, and it had a wall great and high had 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel, and on the east three gates, and on the north three gates, and the south three gates, and on the west uh, three gates. Uh, by the way, if these gates, each one of those 12 gates has an angel at the gate, and it wouldn't make any sense for the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Jacob, the nation of Israel, it wouldn't be make any sense if this city was not also for Jews in the Old Testament who believed in Jehovah. In the Old Testament, if you had faith in Jehovah, you offered the blood sacrifice that he commanded as evidence of your faith for a covering of your sins. Uh, by the way, kind of also interesting that each one of these gates is one individual pearl. Uh, verse 21 says, in the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate, every individual gate was one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And so God doesn't need a big clam to make a big pearl to make a big gate. Uh, God just used one pearl to make each one of these gates. How big they are, we're not told. Uh, we'll see in a second. The city's 1,300 miles long. And so a gate every uh, three gates in 1,300 miles uh, that's not a lot of gates. And so I don't know how big they are. Uh, by the way, someday we'll see. Uh, notice not only are there 12 gates with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, there's 12 foundations below the city with the names of the apostles on them. Verse 14, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And in them, the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. By the way, this also wouldn't make any sense if the city was only for Old Testament Jews like Abraham. By the way, we're told that Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. 
And so obviously, if the foundation of this city uh, has the names of the 12 apostles, this is a city for believers in the Lord Jesus as well. Now, we could take some time, and I'm not going to bother to do so, because uh, quite frankly, you couldn't solve anything about which uh, name is the 12th name in a foundation. Uh, is it the Apostle Paul? Jesus Christ's choice for the 12th apostle, the apostle of the Gentiles. Or was the 12th apostle Matthias the choice of the early church to take Judas' spot? Uh, have your own opinion. Uh, by the way, someday we'll know. Uh, I personally believe it'll be Paul. Uh, you can believe something different if you like. Uh, but I'm sure of this. It's not Benny Hinn. I mean, Betty Hinn says he's an apostle. Listen, there have been a lot of people in history who've claimed to be apostles. Uh, there are 12 unique apostles, and each one of them has their name on one of the foundations of the city of God. Now, these foundations are garnished with precious stones, and the street is gold. And verse 19 through 21 says, And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones, the first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, uh, the tenth a chrysoprasus, the eleventh a jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst, and verse 21, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, every several gate was one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent uh, glass. Notice it says the street not streets. Twice in the book of Revelation, it talks about the street singular of that city. Uh, some of our songs have streets. Um, some of our people, when the words say streets, sing street. Uh, but it's street singular. There is one street, and it's described as being gold, pure gold, as it were transparent glass. So it's a golden street, but it's clear in some way. You know what we may learn someday? Is that we've never on earth had 24 karat gold. You know, maybe 23.999 karat gold you can't see through and it's opaque. Maybe truly pure gold is actually a goldish color but clear. Uh, by the way, if you're saved, you'll find out for sure uh, someday. There are going to be a lot of things in, in that city that are beyond our imagination and are far superior to anything you and I see and know uh, today of on earth. Uh, that street of the city, it is lined with the tree of life, and down the middle of the street, uh, the river of life flows. Revelation 22, verse 1 says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, and in the midst of the street of it. And on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And so out of God's throne flows this river of life that goes down the middle of this golden street, and lining the banks of that river is the tree of life. Notice tree of life is singular. And so what that means is this tree of life has an intertwined root system that literally goes on for hundreds of miles. Uh, by the way, uh, what that also means is that either the tree of life has grown since God removed it out of the Garden of Eden, 
Or maybe the tree of life in the Garden of Eden were a lot bigger than we often picture them. And maybe the tree of life in the Garden of Eden lined the river that began in Eden itself and uh, came up bubbling out of the ground and was a river that split into several heads. Maybe the Garden of Eden was a lot bigger than. You say, which is true? I don't know. I'll tell you what's true, is that someday, if you're saved, you're going to be in that city, and you're going to see a golden street that has transparent gold, and down the middle of that street is going to be a clear river flowing from the throat of God, and lining that river will be the tree of life. Amen. Notice the size of the city. In Revelation chapter 21 and verse 15, it says, He that talked to me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. The city lieth four square. The length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and breadth and height of it are equal. 12,000 furlongs is about 1,323 miles. That is roughly the size of the eastern half of the United States in every direction, including tall. Uh, The New Jerusalem could be shaken like a cube, that would match this. The New Jerusalem could be shaped like a pyramid. That's what I personally believe. I believe God's throne will be at the top of it. You say, which one's right? I don't know. But if you're saved, you'll know someday. The city, just like the street, is clear gold with a jasper wall surrounding it. Verse 17 and 18, he measured the wall thereof. 144 cubits, that's about 216 feet. That's how tall the wall is. By the way, it's about... 20 feet tall in here, so 10 times the height of this ceiling is the height of the wall. He measured the wall thereof, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man that is of the angel. The building of the wall uh, of it was of jasper. The city was pure gold like uh, unto clear glass. It isn't just the street that's gold. The city is gold. And jasper in Revelation is clear. Uh, Sometimes on earth... Most of the time it's red, sometimes it's yellow, sometimes it's brown. Uh, so maybe the whole city has a reddish glow. Uh, by the way, if you're saved, you'll find out someday. Uh, you know, one of the things, uh, by the way, let, let me say this too. Uh, that wall is not there for defense. There's no devil, there's no danger. I mean, understand that wall is there for decoration. Uh, that wall is there to make the beautiful city of God beautiful. I mean, I hope you understand there's a lot of things God makes beautiful, but he doesn't make them beautiful because that beauty is functional. Listen, a mountain doesn't need to be majestic to be a mountain. Uh, God just made it beautiful on purpose. And, And so this wall doesn't have to be functional or there's no danger or anything like that. It's just God making this eternal uh, abode of the saints and believers of all days. He's making it a beautiful and a special place. Uh, Notice, and I I like this, verse 25, the gates of that city are never closed. Verse 25 of Revelation 21, the gates of it, that's the city, shall not be shut at all by day, uh, for there shall be no night there. Uh, you know what open gates means? It means open access for anybody who dwells inside to come and go as they please. I mean, imagine exploring all the new heaven and new earth freshly made by God and all the time in the world to do so. I mean, one might imagine what it is like to look upon 
the world of that day unspoiled by man. Have you ever really, I mean, probably everyone in here has some aspect of natural beauty in our world that really moves us. We say, wow, that's just beautiful. Do you realize that all the natural beauty we're looking at today are really the remnants of destruction? God destroyed the world completely with the flood that had covered our entire globe in Noah's day. And so anything you and I look at that is natural and beautiful, understand, it is simply a remnant of destruction. I mean, imagine what the world will look like when there is no remnant of destruction. It is all back to the way God initially intended it uh, to be. Uh, But hear me when I say it will not just be the quality of the architecture, the landscape, and the street that will make heaven and eternity great. Uh, Notice thirdly, God himself will be with his people. Back to chapter 21 and verse 3. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. I've got that phrase underlined in my Bible. He will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Listen, it is a special moment when God enters our life in the person of the Holy Spirit when we get saved. It's a special moment when God moves in our hearts as we sing and testify and preach and teach uh, when we assemble together. I think we can only imagine what it will be like when we dwell with God in a personal way. I mean, God himself being there in a personal way uh, makes that place special. Listen, wherever, whatever we do, wherever we go, it is always made more special by who we're with. Excuse me a second. I need my Duke cup. We're preparing for a national trend, uh, championship, so in honor of that. Chapter 21, verse 21, basically tells us a similar thing. Say, Brother Wall, I wish you wouldn't joke around when you're preaching about heaven. There's a lot of things that I do that you wish I'd do different. Listen, there's a lot of things I do that I look back and I say, man, I wish I would have done it different. Uh, uh, Listen, I'm just like you. I'm just doing the best I can. Revelation chapter 21, verse 22 says, I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Uh, By the way, in heaven, uh, during the tribulation, there is a temple there. You say, why? I don't know. It might be because Satan has access to heaven all the way up to the middle of the tribulation. Might be. I don't know why. It might be because there's still sin on the earth. I'm just saying, up until... (laughs) Uh, the, the end of the tribulation, in the tribulation, there's a temple in heaven. But in eternity, there's no temple in heaven. But it isn't just that. Verse 23, the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Notice, the city has no need of the sun. Anytime you hear a gospel song that says there's no more sun, that's from the gospel song. That's not from the Bible. Uh, the city... Uh, there still will be the sun. Uh, it will still be there. The moon will still be there. I could show you from the Old Testament. Those are eternal bodies. Uh, but understand this, is that you will not need the light of the sun or the moon because the Lord Jesus Christ lights it. 
Ever have anybody ask you, well, if God uh, made uh, earth uh, and didn't uh, had light on day one in Genesis, and he didn't make the sun and the moon until day four, what was the light? The lamb was the light. Uh, back then and in the future uh, as well. Um, God himself will be there. Uh, what a great day. The personal presence of God. That will make heaven great. Wouldn't you love to see Jesus? I would. Notice a fourth thing that will change. The conditions under which we live will change. Notice in chapter 21 and verse 4, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Imagine, no more tears. Some people say there's, they think there's tears in heaven today because this doesn't actually take place to then. I don't know whether that's true or not. I have my doubts as to whether there's actually tears in heaven today. You know, if you want to believe there is, go for it. Uh, listen, when you're with heaven, in heaven with Jesus today, there ain't a lot to left crying about. But for sure in that day, they're all gone. I've had people ask me over the years off, in fact, had somebody talk to me about this morning, how can I ever be happy in heaven knowing blank is in hell? And as I mentioned last week, some people believe you won't remember them. I don't believe that. If you want to believe that, believe that. Uh, I personally believe that in our glorified bodies with a glorified mind, we will look at things like God looks at things and we will, we will justify God, not our family. We will justify God, not our friends. Ever know anybody that uh, was against homosexuality to their kid was one? Uh, uh, listen, what that is doing is justifying their family, not God. In that day, we will say, well, you know what? God did everything he could do to keep them out of hell. And he sent themselves there anyway. Glory to God. Now, our mind don't work like that now, but it will then. No more pain, no more death, no more sorrow. It's kind of interesting that there's no more crying and no more tears. You say, why are they separate? I don't know. I'm just pointing it out. I mean, think about it. No more sorrow. No more abuse. No more violence, no more hatred, no more divorce, no more, well, we're not on speaking terms. That's all passed away. What a day. It's kind of interesting that the thing we seem to talk about most, which is the reunion with those who've gone before us, and thank God there will be a reunion. I mean, many of us have some people over there. It's kind of interesting, as God describes that city, he doesn't even mention that. By the way, it's going to be a great reunion. But I think when we get there and God changes our heart and mind, we're going to be way more glad to see Jesus than anybody else. Hey, listen, I do want to see my dad. There's people I've known over the years I'd like to see again. And in Christ, I'm going to. But none of us going to compare to seeing Jesus himself. And you may or may not like this, but in chapter 2, 22, go up one page and we'll close. So you're out of time. I know. I know. Chapter 22, the people of God will still serve Christ in that city. Chapter 22, verse 3, 
There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve it. They shall see his face. His name shall be in their forehead. Not only will we see his face, we get to still serve him. I actually feel bad for those of you who all your service for the Lord Jesus Christ is a drudgery. I feel bad for you. Do you realize what the root of the problem is? You've never accepted the simple fact that you're not your own, that you're bought with a price, and that we're taught to glorify God in our body and our spirit, which are God's. I feel bad for those of you. Listen, I'm not saying doing the right thing is always a great joy, but by and large, you know what? Serving Christ, it ought to be a joy to you. Say, what kind of service are we going to render in that day? I don't really know. But whatever it is, we're going to like it. By the way, serving Christ isn't just what we do at church. Say, hey, listen, uh, we may sweep that golden street. Say, what's going to be dirty on it? I don't know. Maybe somebody be throwing their McDonald's wrapper. Unless they're going to have McDonald's in heaven. I don't know what we're going to be doing. I just know this. It'll be wonderful to see Christ's face and to still serve Him. So how does this apply? The first application is that you won't see that city unless you're made perfectly righteous in Christ. Chapter 21, verse 27, And there shall in no wise enter into it, that's into the city, anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Hey, listen. There's a lot of people, and you've never really grasped the fact that you're not working to be into this city. You're not working to be righteous in God's sight. Uh, We're righteous in God's sight because of Jesus Christ. When we trusted Him, He imputed His righteousness to us, and God looks at me as righteous in Christ. Say, Brother Wally, how, listen, I am so disappointed in myself so often. So how do you rest with your disappointments? Because I'm not resting in my behavior. I'm resting in Christ. By the way, if you're not somebody who's disappointed in yourself uh, and in what goes through your heart and what goes in your mind, uh, then they're not paying attention. But if you're paying attention and it's really bothering you, understand, Rest in Christ and His righteousness because you get in that city through His righteousness. Here's a second and final application. It's our job to invite people to come. Notice the water of life is free. Chapter 22, verse 17. The Spirit, capital S, and the bride, that's the new Jerusalem and the church. The bride say, come. Let him that heareth say, Come. Uh, by the way, you just heard, so what are you supposed to be doing? Yeah, inviting people to come. Let him that is a thirst come, whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Hey, listen. When we learn not just of the horror of hell like last week, and we learn the incredible future that God has for eternity, oh, how we ought to be motivated invite people, come. Come. Christ died for you. Gates of that city are open. Come. If you quietly stand.